This is Pure Opelka with Mike Opelka. Only on the Blaze Radio Network. Let's get on it. Busy day and uh, just been uh, more complicated by breaking news out of Barcelona, Spain. Or if you studied Castilian Spanish, Barcelona, Spain. Uh, Two armed men reportedly enter a restaurant after their van hits a crowd of people. This uh, has been uh, identified early as as likely a terror attack. No, duh. Not good on on a Thursday, but welcome to Puro Pelka. Nonetheless, we have a full agenda. We'll be watching this breaking story to let you know if anything at all is coming out of it. All we really know is this uh, van hit a crowd of people in a very heavy tourist area in Barcelona. And then reportedly, two men entered a restaurant, armed men entered a restaurant. There's not much video coming out of there right now. They've closed off the uh, transit systems, the buses and the subways, and they're asking people to stay off social media. Yeah, like that's going to happen. Please don't use your Twitter and Facebook. Oh, of course. Yeah, right after I finish tweeting out that you don't want us to use Twitter or Facebook or Instagram. Right. A vehicle attack. Another one. Need I remind you that that's what ISIS said. That's what radical Islam has been preaching. Use a car, use a truck, use whatever you can. And this appears to be more than just the vehicle attack. We'll, we'll wait and hear. If we hear anything more on this, if we hear additional reports regarding the armed men, we will tell you. Today's going to be a, a day that I expect some folks who've never listened to this show to be listening to this show. Today's the day I anticipate some people who are not not libertarian, conservatives, whatever you want to call them, will be jumping on the line with us. We're talking about universal basic income today. So in the course of having this discussion, yesterday I posted the the poll on the universal basic income. I wanted to know what people thought. And I knew it was a hot topic Pretty much the instant we posted it, because 30 minutes, people actually started responding in great numbers. And in less than 24 hours, we received more responses than uh, almost double as many responses we get on a normal poll. Now, here's the interesting thing about universal basic income. It is liked and disliked almost equally. Based on this poll, 46% of the people who responded have said, ah, it's a great idea. 49% say it's a bad idea, and 5% are saying, oh, I don't know. So I want to talk about it as much as we can today and discuss, discuss with as many different thinkers as possible. Now, I tend to believe that the uh, the folks who are against my thinking, the folks who support 
universal basic income won't pick up the phone and call because they don't they don't believe that conservatives libertarians like myself will listen to a, a different pov and i absolutely will if you've been around me you know that if somebody comes up and has a um, a point of view that is uh, even progressive and wants to discuss it i'm happy to discuss it because I'm confident in my belief that individual freedom and liberty is ultimately the best answer to every situation. My own brother responded yesterday to my Twitter question. My own brother, who, who's a smart guy, talked about whether or not uh, we, universal basic income is important. And speaking like a, a true diplomat that he is, he talked about the the need, the need to have social services to support some people, and also that unchecked capitalism can lead to revolution. Unchecked super concentration of wealth can lead to revolution. And yeah, sure, I get that. I've seen it, but I, you know, I think that that unchecked opportunity for all is the answer. The answer is letting everybody have a chance, an equal chance to achieve. And that's why we do have laws that, that stop or attempt to slow down monopolies. Now, as, as we've been talking in different shows, I think The Morning Blaze, I think Glenn's talked about it. We've certainly talked about it here. When you get down to the fact that, that, that four companies... Google, Facebook, Amazon, what's the fourth? Apple, are probably going to control a huge portion of commerce in this country. Is that a good idea? That's a massive concentration of wealth. That's also a chance for this, this majority of people to be very jealous. We talked about the Powerball, and no, I didn't win the Powerball. That's why I'm here today. But the next drawing is going to be $530 million, a half a billion dollars. Yes, I will have a ticket. If you win that lottery, do you know the jealousy that's going to strike some of the people you know, some of the relatives you know, some of the distant relatives you've never heard from? Jealousy and envy do horrible things to otherwise normal and decent people. And that's why I think a lot of the concerns about mass, massive wealth come about. And what do we think about all these people who've earned all this money? What do we think about these people who are worth tens of billions of dollars? Is that okay? Because I'm still interested in trying to find the maximum wage in this country because we don't have one. And I believe that even in, into my later years, I will always be trying to seek out the opportunity to strike gold, if you will. Today's the anniversary, by the way, of, of the gold being discovered in Alaska. Was it 18, 1869 or something like that? I'll have to go and look that up. Today is a very historic day. 
we'll get into some other history today as well. But I'm I'm a believer that opportunity is what drives this nation. And the people who talk about universal basic income, the people the people who are billionaires, like the Elon Musks, like most recently the Richard Bransons, who are saying that because of the coming of robotic revolution that is going to eat up jobs, that we need to we need to consider universal basic income, basically cash handouts. Now, I know the world is changing fast. I know that innovation is moving very quickly, but this is again what we faced in the 50s when computers started doing things. In the 60s when computers were, were we, we basically were, a computer's gonna take all the jobs. Automation is gonna kill everything. IBM, Univac, yes, Univac. All these gigantic computers are going to eat up all the jobs and we'll just have a bunch of people with no jobs. Guess what happened? The economy shifted. People became computer programmers, computer technicians, computer repair people, computer delivery people, computer recyclers. And that's just in that one industry. Silicon Valley didn't exist 40 years ago. If it did, it was a couple of guys in their garages thinking about building personal computers. Yeah, robots are coming. Yeah, cars are going to be driven by uh, AI. But it's not going to happen overnight. It'll happen quicker than you think because guess what? They're working 24 hours a day, seven days a week. But I don't believe the... The overall economy will crumble. It will shift. But isn't that what, what forecasting is about? Trying to find the next trend in work? Yeah, that is what it's about. And if, if your job goes away, you have to try and find another field or maybe make your own way. But to say we're just going to surrender and say that nobody, you know, no one's going to have a job because the robots are going to do anything and everything. Does the government, does the government have a responsibility to pay you a basic living wage? Do you know what this sounds like to me? This sounds like the United Nations and the declaration, the, the UN has a, a basic Bill of Rights, kind of modeled after another Bill of Rights that you might know about, except in the UN Bill of Rights, it's a lot more socialist, and it's a lot more communist, and it's a lot more turning over everything to the government. And in the case of the UN, they dream of a one-world government. I'm sorry, I, I wish somebody out there would explain to me why UBI is a good idea. I would love to hear from anybody. I, I was challenged uh, several different times on Twitter overnight and throughout the morning by people who are telling me how wrong I am opposing universal basic income. And I invited all of them to join us and have a, a conversation with us. As of this moment, not one has called. 
we will put out the call again. 888-900-3393-888-900-3393. Almost half of the people who voted online completely support universal basic income. Where are they? Half of you don't support it. Now, there, there are a bunch of different things that have been brought up in UBI, and one of those is, is Alaska. Alaska has something that's been going on, not forever and ever and ever, but really only, only with the oil boom of, what was it, about 40 years ago? So we need, we need to talk about it. What is the Alaska UBI? And is it really a UBI? No, because it changes every year. It goes up and down. Are you a proponent of UBI? Are you anti-UBI? Share your thoughts and we'll keep the poll going all morning. There's certainly plenty of other things to talk about as we watch uh, an unfolding terror attack in Barcelona, Spain. It doesn't seem to be all that active because it's, it's pretty much cut off. And all we're hearing is that there are two armed men in a restaurant. But we'll keep you up to date on that. There have been some, uh, some big statements made by Hollywood, some entertainers who've decided to weigh in on Donald Trump. And we also have to talk about, we have to talk about um, respect for the police and how I'm now seeing people who say blue lives matter and people who fly the, the flag with the blue stripe on it are now being called part of neo-Nazi groups. We'll get into that. And, uh, and the, the worst first pitch ever in baseball, at least the guy who caught it, air quotes on the word caught, the guy who caught it thinks so. We'll get into some of that next on Pure Opelka. Pure Opelka with Mike Opelka on the Blaze Radio Network. To Pure Opelka with Mike Opelka on the Blaze Radio Network. Welcome back to Pure Opelka. Just a quick update on the Barcelona, Spain terror attack. Police are saying that uh, one one person has been killed, at least twenty injured. They're still looking for the driver of the white van that hit the crowd. And then there was a report that two armed men ran into a restaurant. I don't know if there's an update on that or if there's just one person they're looking for, but they say they're looking for the driver of that van in, in Barcelona. Apparent terror attack at um, just after 6 p.m. Spain time. It is Pure Opelka. It is the Blaze Radio Network. We are talking about universal basic income. Jim in Bethlehem, Pennsylvania is checking in. Jim, welcome to the show. Where are you on UBI? You waiting for your monthly check from the government? Yeah, I'll be uh, holding my breath waiting for that. Um, <laughs> I, I just, I just think it's just a complete waste of money um, that we could be doing other things with. Um, you know, it's 
it's one thing after another that more people just take advantage of. Unfortunately, I, I, you know, I don't know if I'm saying it the wrong way or not, but I just think it's just something for people to take advantage of. Um, you know, you you bring up a point about people taking advantage. I just there, there is a a group, Jim, that says that if we do UBI, we can stop all these other social safety nets. Like, you know, you're, we're going we're gonna to cut food stamps and we're going to cut Section 8 housing support and we're going to cut, believe it or not, in New York State, I think it's every 18 months if you're on Section 8 housing, you get a furniture allowance bonus to go out and buy furniture. Uh, so that some people are saying if we give UBI, universal basic income, we're going to cut all that. Now, do you believe anybody who's getting food stamps which are necessary to some people to keep them alive and any of this other support, do you think they're going to accept cutting any of that? No, they're not. No, not at all. Not at all. And it'll just be, it'll be in addition to the food stamps and whatever else. And, and I'm not against supporting or helping people that clearly need the help. I get it. You know, there's people out there that really do need the help and, and I'd be the first person to extend my hand to help them. But, there's also people out there that just, you know, can be working and are not working. There's jobs out there that can be had and they just refuse to do it. You know, it's easier to get something for free than have to go work 40 hours to go get it. You know, and I I was explaining when I called in originally, I was explaining to the gentleman that answered the phone that uh, I work in the uh, HVAC industry and The local government a few years ago was running a program that they pretty much would give free heating systems to these people. Um, And on both sides of the fence, it was taken advantage of. You know, the people that were getting these heating systems were, most of them could absolutely be doing something to contribute towards it. Could be getting a job uh, as opposed to sitting in there. You walk in the house and they have big screen TVs hanging on the wall. They have SUVs in the driveway that I couldn't even have in my driveway, but yet they're getting free heating systems. And then the contractors that are doing the work, they take advantage of the situation where they're, you know, putting in, they get X amount of dollars to do a system. Um, they're buying bottom of the barrel, inflating the price, and they're making a very good margin off of the local government, and nobody's policing it on both sides of the fence. Do you understand where you- I'm coming from? You, you bring up a massive point that every libertarian should always remember to bring up, and that is, and I'm, I'm up against a, a real hard wall here, Jim, so I'm going to say thank you and, and put you on hold here as we wrap up this segment. The, the key here is this builds a bigger machine. It not only, it not only strikes uh, a blow against all the freedom and capitalism that I believe in, but it then builds that bigger government machine to dole out those payments. Uh, when we get back, I'm going to bring up something Jim just talked about, and that is uh, how big government really encourages bad behavior like this. Like he talked about the contractors buying the cheap units and then racking up the price because the money was there. It's not the person's money, it's government money. But guess what? It's our money. UBI, where do you stand? We will discuss all day. Come on back. 
You're listening to Pure Opelka with Mike Opelka on the Blaze Radio Network. The phones are open, 888-900-3393, I will discuss anything, but the hot topic today is universal basic income. It is being proposed in places like Switzerland and Finland is actually doing a little bit of testing. I don't think it's going to work. And even if it works in Finland, it's a little different in a country with uh, a tiny population than it is in a country like America. They're they're doing this in their test. 2,000 unemployed people between 25 and 58 will receive a guaranteed basic income of 560 euro a month. And that is supposed to replace their unemployment benefit. And they will continue to receive it whether or not they actually find work. They think the government does. Proponents of this believe it will encourage unemployed people to work part-time without being worried about losing benefits, etc. So um, I, I just don't see it working, especially when you look at at the push here in America and the discussion of, of a universal basic income, it, it just seems like eventually, as Margaret Thatcher said years ago, the trouble with socialism is you run out of other people's money. Where does this money come from? Remember when Obama got elected and people were saying they all were going to get money because Obama was going to be handing out money to help people out? And nobody actually understood the concept of Government money actually comes from the rest of us. The people that were interviewed on the street when they they were they lined up in in a couple of different cities, people lined up blocks long lines of people who believed that they were going to get free government money because Obama was going to be handing it out without any idea, A, if it was true, and B, where that money came from. No concept of where that money came from. Universal basic income, if you understand it from the popular perspective of it, has five simple characteristics. It comes basically every month. It's not like every year you get the big check. It's cash. It's delivered as cash, not food stamps or or merchandise, no vouchers. It's cash. And who gets it? It's not done to, say, uh, pay every household a certain amount of money. But this is every individual, every citizen would get paid. I'm guessing if you have children, that means you get paid too. Each kid gets paid. 
It's universal. Everybody gets it. That's the concept of universal basic income. Meaning, even if you're the CEO of a company, you're still going to get your universal basic income. And it also comes without conditions. In other words, you don't have to say, well, I tried to find work or I'm willing to work. This is, I just think this is such a bad idea. Universal basic income. And, and why is this popping up now? Why are people like Richard Branson and Elon Musk bringing up the topic of uni universal basic income now? Why? I have to think it's because there is massive heat being placed on the billionaires in this world. So that if the billionaires say, well, you know what? The government has a lot of money. We pay a lot of money in taxes. If everybody was just guaranteed a base level income, they think it's going to take the air out of the tire, that tire that's building up pressure, the pressure that is pointing people towards all of these super rich people. They're the problem. I don't think universal basic income has any real credibility, but there are a bunch of folks out there who keep pushing it. There are a bunch of folks out there who keep saying it is the answer to all of our problems. And you know what? If I look at the Twitter feed around yesterday's post, there are people who are saying, well, what, 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 about, uh, what about retired military? How can they be against it? They're dependent on the government to live. Well, you know what? People served in the military... I'm talking to you, Scott Santons, who doesn't have the stones to call the show. Scott Santons. People who worked in the military earned, earned their retirement. And we sure as hell better give it to them. Snapping Duck, who uh, is on uh, Twitter, at Sitting Duck, said, you know, we spent trillions in the war on poverty for 60 years and the poverty rate really hasn't changed. That's absolutely right. The poverty rate has floated between, I think it's 11 and 14%. No matter how much money you throw at it, there's always going to be a certain portion of the population that is A, unemployable or doesn't want to work. It's just part of human nature and part of the, the basic statistics of a population. Not everybody can work because of either physical limitations or possibly mental limitations. There are, there are problems. You can't have 100% full employment. There are a small percentage of folks, and then there are problems with economies in different parts of the country. So you will have outbreaks of people that won't be working in greater numbers than they will in other parts. Our poverty level. I remember when the war on poverty was announced. What a failed war that was. It created a dependence on government assistance. Benjamin Franklin talked about, if you go back and read the real Ben Franklin, the real Benjamin Franklin, that series of books, the real Thomas Jefferson, the real George Washington, they all should be in your shelf. But the real Ben, Ben Franklin talked about making it uncomfortable for people to be on public assistance. 
And I know that if I bring that up, I'm considered to be cruel. I know there's a certain portion of our population who must be assisted by the government. They're a tiny portion. And we as a society should have a safety net to take care of them. But there are many who fall into short-term bad times that society shouldn't have to take and raise. That we should help, and once they're back on their feet, they should be able to fly on their own. The topic, universal basic income. Where do you stand? Should we be saying to everybody, because here's, here's one of the things I believe. If you offer universal basic income, where does it end? Seriously, where does it end? Does it go to universal basic housing? Is there universal basic food and nutrition? We've already heard talk of universal basic health care. And then there's universal basic employment, isn't there? This is not a slippery slope. This is a greased, deep slope. You're dam sliding down the, down the face of the steepest dam you've ever run into with a layer of silt that is going to be unable to, you're not going to be able to stop until you hit the bottom. Universal basic income. Bad idea in my book. You're welcome to chime in on this throughout the show. We have other things we have to get to today. Some of the late night hosts have decided it's time to take the gloves off. And they're actually pushing, pushing for the removal of Donald Trump. We'll get into that as well today. And I do have a history lesson that goes back to the time that I was five years old, we're going to do that in the third hour today. Um, I promised Doc Thompson I would get to that. And then around the corner, big government, big government showing, it's just, I'm so glad to be out of New York. There's a story I have to share with you. It's just, it's ticking me off so much I have to take a break. When we get back, I'll tell you why I'm so damn happy I don't live in New York under the thumb of that communist socialist, Bill de Blasio, the guy who thinks he actually has a shot at being the president in 2020. And the scary thing is, if you've lived in New York and watched this guy and watched Bernie Sanders and what he did, he might have a chance. I'll scare the hell out of you too. Next, I'm Pure Opelka. You're listening to Pure Opelka with Mike Opelka on the Blaze Radio Network. Pure Opelka with Mike Opelka on the Blaze Radio Network. Got to say big thanks to Relief Factor. I, I use Relief Factor, but the company supports this program and a lot of programs on the Blaze Radio Network. And uh, I take Relief Factor because it works, frankly, not because they buy spots. And I'm not the only one. There are millions of people who have ordered the three-week quick start pack. 
by going to relieffactor.com. Megan is one of those people, and it's worked for Megan as well. I've been using Relief Factor for a little bit over a month Mm -hmm. with a 34-year-old woman that has been in a car accident. I suffered from severe neck pain, shooting pain down my arms and legs that would often cause me to limp. At one point, I was going to a chiropractor and an acupuncturist six times a week. Yikes. I noticed visible improvement within two days of taking your product, Relief Factor, and it has really, truly changed my life. Two days she got relief. For me, it took eight, usually seven to ten days is what uh, we're told. It's all natural. It's botanicals, 100% natural botanicals and wild harvested fish oils, easy to carry packs that I take at breakfast, lunch, and dinner, Nineteen ninety-five for the three-week quick start pack. Give them a call at 800-500-8384, 800-500-8384, Relief Factor. It works. It does. It works for me. Now, I, I was trying not to get all wound up today, but I guess I need to find the silver lining here. In May, after 25 years in New York City, We got the hell out. We sold our place and officially became a one state (laughs) couple, a residence of the state of Delaware. Yes, Delaware is still Democrat controlled, but nothing like New York City, where the corruption is just rampant and nobody seems to care. What do I mean? How dare I say that? Well, let me just give you one example. A guy builds a, a facility, a building, a commercial building in, uh, in the Bronx in New York, one of the five boroughs, the Bronx. It's got 83 apartments in it. And in order to get the permit to build the building, he has to basically project how much he's going to charge for each apartment. So he fills out the paperwork and he tells the city If you give me the permits, these are going to be kind of reasonably priced units, 83 units with an estimated average rent of $641 per room. They're small apartments, so there's probably two to three rooms per apartment. So they're going to, you know, go for a a little bit, a little bit under the city average. Now. This guy applies for the permit. He gets the permit. He builds the building. After telling the government he's going to charge $641 per room in terms of rent. The city has a homeless problem. This guy, he's probably well connected and went to the city and said, why don't you rent the entire, entire building for your homeless people, and I'll give you a good deal. The good deal is not $641 per room, but it's it's $1,028 per room. He will be getting more than $5 million per year from the city. So instead of letting the free market, instead of letting the free market do its job and rent those apartments to individuals, This guy is in bed with the city who's going to take the taxpayer money and spend over market price on a homeless shelter now. 
And no one's going to say anything but for the fact that the New York Post brought it to everyone's attention. Oh, yeah. Because the guy built this brand new facility, he's also eligible for either a 25-year or 15-year tax break. So he won't have to pay any revenue on it. Big government is what's killing us. The free market will save individuals money. It will save taxpayers money. And ultimately, we'll all be better off. This is why I hate universal basic income and other socialist programs. I've got more to cover, plus an update on what's happening in Spain with this terror attack. We'll be right back after the news. Opelka. With Mike Opelka on the Blaze Radio Network. This is Pure Opelka. With Mike Opelka. Only on the Blaze Radio Network. Welcome back to Pure Opelka, second hour of the show. There are uh, some really frightening reports out of Barcelona, Spain, where a terror attack, an apparent terror attack, took place just about an hour ago when a white van ran through a tourist section of downtown and mowed down at least 20 people. We are now hearing from the Associated Press there may be as many as 13 dead. Somebody just sent me, uh, and if I sound a little shaken, somebody just sent me video of the street where this van went down, and there are bodies everywhere. And no one's attending to them because they're gone. And the streets are awash with blood. And the cops, God bless them, are on the scene trying to find the people responsible. But we don't know a whole lot more than that right now. But uh, the video I just saw is a gut punch. So once again, uh, what appears to be a terror attack, a van being used as a weapon, and then the armed men getting out, reportedly barricading themselves in some sort of cafe or bar. And police are still just saying they don't have anyone yet. We know this section of Barcelona is, is uh, basically under police control at this time. But the scene that... Gosh. What, what have we become? Literally, what have we become? If this is in the name of a religion, I don't see how you can justify it. When you see the, the bodies of the women and the children who were run over less than two hours ago, you have to question, where is humanity going? It is... It's heartbreaking. And again, this was done intentionally. This was done specifically to deal 
and deal a blow to the the Western way of life because they went after, completely went after a part of town that was frequented by tourists and people who were involved in uh, capitalism, vacationing, just a, a horrible situation. We have an effort out to get a hold of a national security expert who may be able to get to us before this hour is over and see if we can get any additional information on this. Right now we have every, every bit of news feeding into us at this time. And on a day when, when the president is, is telling people that we're not going to, we don't need to be taking down monuments because it's erasing history, I, I agree with the president on that statement. We cannot erase our history. Hiding it is only, it's the equivalent of sticking your head in the sand. If you want to take down those monuments, do it legally, do it, do it justly, and then move them to a place where we can teach people to never forget. Never forget. So I'm, I'm not upset with, with the president on his statement today. I think he's actually I think he's actually on it. He's actually on it today. Now, the president has no public events scheduled, so there can be no um screwy press conferences. I'm kind of happy about that. I know Mike Pence cut his trip to South America short by a couple of days. He wasn't supposed to be back in the country till the end of the day on Friday. But Mike Pence came back and there are meetings going on with the president. I understand there's a Camp David trip coming up. And we'll get to the Bannon topic. We will get to the Bannon topic. Absolutely. But today we're uh, just a little bit distracted with this terror attack. Now, CNN's reporting one dead, 32 injured. The Associated Press had a report of 13 dead. And I will tell you, the video that I just looked at, um, it's closer to the, the story that I've heard than the one that CNN is reporting. So just understand that a lot of the video you're seeing on television right now is not new. It's at least an hour old. It's an hour old that is um, being fed over and over again because... The area is in lockdown, so you're not going to see much, much more new come out of that area. I have to tell you, the candlelight vigil last night, the candlelight vigil that, that happened in, in Charlottesville, I think was a, a, a wonderful and appropriate response to the Tiki Torch vigil we saw Friday, where the chanting of the anti-Semitic and horrific slogans happened. I was, my, my, my heart was gladdened by what I heard. The, the people holding their candles to, uh, to heaven and singing together. Just a beautiful thing. And, you know, it, it wasn't, it was, it was pretty spontaneous, at least from what I can, what I can gather. Let's see if I can pull up one of those songs because it, it was pretty darned amazing. And then as, as that was going on in the streets, here's the contrast. As the people 
in Charlottesville are trying to pull their their families and lives together as the people in Charlottesville have gathered in a massive candlelight vigil, a peaceful march. The late night comedians are on the attack. And I really was stung by the contrast there. The, um, the Jimmy Kimmel and Jimmy Fallon attacks. We expect the savage attacks from, um, from Colbert, of course. But it's gotten more and more savage from Kimmel. And Kimmel was a guy who welcomed Trump. If memory serves me correct, Kimmel was a guy who had Trump on his show in the lead up to the election. Of course, he had to. Or he would have been accused of being uh, of playing one side against the other. It would have been obviously pro Hillary, which I that's no surprise to me. But Kimmel has gone on a major attack against Donald Trump. Major attack. And last night, Jimmy Kimmel, during his monologue. Well, let's just give you a little taste. After criticizing Obama for playing golf, he plays golf every weekend. He accidentally shares classified intelligence with the Russians. He tweets a typo at midnight, then wakes up and claims it was a secret message. <laughs> he praises Jim Comey in October, calls him a coward in June. He fires him. He lashes out at his own attorney general for recusing himself from an investigation. He hires the mooch. He fires the mooch. He bans the transgendered in the military without telling anyone in the military he's doing it. He plays chicken with Kim Jong-un. And that's just some of the list. If I went through all of it, it'd be longer than the menu at the Cheesecake Factory. It would be (laughs) huge. So... Now, he's got good writers. I'll give him that. But not all of that is 100% correct. But after listing some of the things about the president that he does not like, Kimmel went on to make the case for getting rid of Donald Trump. And I guess the process be damned. He is, by every reasonable account, and I'm using his own words here, he is a total disaster. He screws up royally every Day, sometimes two or three times a day. We can't keep up with it. Things come out of nowhere. Every day there's something nuts. But you've been trying to ignore it because you don't want to admit to these smug, annoying liberals that they were right. That's the last thing you want to do. But the truth is, deep down inside, you know you made a mistake. You know you picked the wrong guy. And it isn't getting better. It's getting worse. First of all, Mr. Kimmel, those of us who did vote for Donald Trump, and I raise my hand and say, yes, I did, because Donald Trump, even with these faults, better than President Clinton, better than President Hillary Clinton. I'll let him continue. You can do one of two things. You can dig in like uh, like Chris Christie at a hometown buffet. (laughs) Or... You could treat this situation like you would if you'd put Star Wars wallpaper up in the kitchen. All right, I got caught up. I was excited. I made a mistake. (laughs) And now it needs to go. Well, now he does need to go. So it's time for especially you who voted for him to tell him to go. First of all, the left once again allowed to fat shame Chris Christie. 
the left, it's okay. It's okay. God forbid anybody on the right should fat shame a liberal. Well, I guess we do make comments about Michael Moore and his corpulent self. But uh, not, so, not so much. But this, this, that's fat shaming, right? Isn't that against the rules, liberals? Jimmy? Just think about it. It makes it. He doesn't even want to be president. He's miserable. But he won't resign because his ego is too big. He can't do it. So either we impeach him, which could happen, but it might not, or we do what he would do in this situation. We negotiate. We make a deal. And I know this is going to sound nuts, but I have an idea. So hear me out on this. I think this could solve all our problems. We're all going to have to be on board with this. Instead of president, we make Donald Trump king. They're trying to diminish Trump. They're trying to make sure Donald Trump's now an ineffective president. They're joining the bandwagon with Keith Olbermann, who's been screaming about Donald Trump and the removal of Donald Trump since the day he was elected. Since the morning after, since November 9th. And uh, I don't believe, unless they have some smoking gun on Russia and collusion, which you would think we would know by now, even though the investigation is ongoing, that these guys would give up. I don't think Kimmel's given up. It's the first time I've heard him call for Donald Trump must go. The very first time. At the same time, across the dial, the other Jimmy, the other Jimmy has taken to actually just mocking the president. I'll give you a taste of what Jimmy Fallon is doing to President Trump after the break. Michael Pelka and Pure Opelka. Come on back. You're listening to Pure Opelka with Michael Pelka on the Blaze Radio Network. Pure Opelka with Mike Opelka. Welcome back to Pure Opelka. The phone lines are open. 888-900-3393, 888-900-3393. We are monitoring the situation in Spain. Rex Tillerson, the Secretary of State, is uh, informing the news media that our embassy and our staff and personnel are helping all Americans who happened to be in Barcelona at the time, if they need assistance. Uh, no, no real identification of the people who were killed. They're still reporting on CNN, one dead, 32 injured. And uh, there are parts of the Internet that are reporting that number to be uh, 13 dead and a whole bunch more injured. So we'll keep an eye on that as we watch all of the other stuff that's going on today. Boy, oh boy. Uh, just just frightening. And I know uh, you probably have friends who are overseas and we should worry about them. We should, we should say a prayer for those people. Um, again, the AP reporting up to 13 dead. A lot of people only reporting one at this time. And if you had seen the video, I, I'm not going to forward the video. It's um, 
it's it's gut wrenching. Just trust me. It's we have work to do. We have a lot of work to do. Before we went away, I played a clip for you that had um, Jimmy Kimmel saying that Donald Trump has to go. He wants Donald Trump out. And then I said, uh, Jimmy Fallon seems to have jumped on the bandwagon, too. And Fallon's doing it with a little more, a little more produced comedy. He's using his, his sarcastic Saturday Night Live produced comedy angle to go after Trump. And remember yesterday, I was, I was all bent out of shape because, because uh, CNN and others tried to characterize Donald Trump's press conference. Yes, it was combated. Combative. Yes, it was something that, had he not taken questions, would have been in much better shape than be the taking of the questions and, and having that, that back and forth with the press that got to be so contentious. The president would have been much better to skip it. But he didn't come out and lead with, as we heard from so many people, he didn't come out and lead with, oh, yes, I have a, a vineyard in, in Charlottesville. He was leaving Charlottesville. He was, out, or he was leaving the press conference. He was out of the press conference when he made the statement after someone asked him if he was going there. And he said, well, you know, I have a home there. And that led to a brief discussion of the vineyard. It wasn't the main focus of what he was doing. But yet, NBC continued spreading that false information, that fake news. But then they had to pile on and make a little bit of a produced bit about Donald Trump's vineyard and the painting of the president as a racist. The Trump winery is America's finest winery. What separates us from all the others? It's simple. We only make white wine. Because let's face it, it doesn't get better than a white. No way, Rosé. White's all right. The Trump Winery is located just outside Charlottesville, Virginia. To visit us, drive south along Route 627, then take two alt-rights and an alt-left. Trump Winery. Because America could really use a drink right now. Well, you know what? I, I do agree that America could really use a drink right now. But this is, uh, this is just a little bit of piling on, I think. And uh, Jimmy Fallon, you're, he's a talented guy. But to paint the president as a racist and pile on that, because how do you come back after someone says you're a racist? How do you fight back? How are you able to even stand, stand up and say, I'm sorry, you're wrong? You can't. It's almost impossible to fight back after that. So I, I don't mind people fighting. I don't mind people expressing their opinion, even using comedy. But I think it's much smarter, much fairer to fight back honestly. If you're going to throw the racist card out there. Jimmy Fallon, you're going to open yourself up for some of the comments about the, the failings in your own life, which I won't go into right now, because I don't think that's fair. Coming up around the corner, um, we have a couple of different stories that we have to break into. And then uh, the top of the third hour, we're going to do a little history. 
and in the history we are going to discuss uh, how I started fighting communists at the age of five years old. Doc Thompson's been bugging me to tell this story, and I guess I have to tell the story. Uh, still time to vote as our universal basic income poll is almost wrapped up. What do you feel about universal basic income? It's to yesterday and today's vital question. The poll closes out shortly. Still a chance to get in your opinion. And uh, I challenge those who support it to call in. Apparently, none of them have the stones to pick up the phone and defend this fake idea of universal basic income. More on that. And more news. Next, Piero Pelton. You're listening to Pure Opelka with Mike Opelka on the Blaze Radio Network. Opelka with Mike Opelka. Welcome back. Halftime on uh, Pure Opelka. At least uh, we're now in the second half of the show. Let me give you a little hope as we are trying to cover the terror attack in Spain. Let me give you a hope from last night. Little hope injection. This is Charlottesville, Virginia where thousands of people gathered last night for a candlelight vigil. And I was really happy to see this, this actually getting promoted everywhere. Mine eyes have seen the glory of the coming of the Lord. He has trampled out the vintage where the grapes of wrath are stored. He hath loosed the faithful lightning of his terrible swift sword. His truth is marching on. Glory, glory, hallelujah. How about that? Glory, glory, hallelujah. Candles? Thousands of them gathered in Charlottesville just hours, hours after we, we witnessed the, uh, the tribute to uh, Heather Heyer. The, the one victim who was killed and that, uh, that powerful tribute by her mother, Susan Bro. That makes me feel like, you know what, if we talk to each other, we can get through this. If we talk to each other, we'll be able to say, look, we're not going to erase our history. We can't get rid of it. We can't hide it. We can move offensive stuff to different parts. But this request by this liberation theologist in this this pastor in Chicago to change the name of of Washington Park and change the name of Jackson Park and take down the statue of George Washington. What are you going to do? You're going to take back all the dollar bills? 
You're going to go through it all? You're going to take down the Washington Monument? We're going we're gonna to cover it all up? And let's not forget, FDR. FDR was a guy, you know what? We should have seen this coming. We should have seen this coming with FDR's monument. Did, did, you, did you pay attention when FDR's monument was being made? There was a big argument over whether or not FDR's monument should include a cigarette because he smoked and he was seen regularly with a cigarette and a cigarette holder. So that was a big deal. There was an actual discussion. I think it was in the late 80s, early 90s that this discussion took place. And we should have known then that we were going to start censoring history. And since then, we've done it. We have censored history. We've actually gone back and in movies, we have taken the technology, the CGI technology, and we have taken smoking out of movies. I think E.T. was the first one it was done with. I know there was a discussion about this. So what are we going to do? I never picked up a cigarette because I saw a cigarette in a movie. But I guess this is what what we've all bought into. But if you're going to change history, you're going to deny history. And if you're going to change history, I also believe you are, in fact, dooming people to repeat the dumb stuff of history. Because, you know, if we, if we have monuments that say these were people who tried to split the country in half because they wanted to keep owning people as property, we're going to prevent that from happening again. But if we tear it all down, if we decide to melt it all down, we're not. We're not going to prevent it from happening again. We're going to make sure the stupid mistakes continue. And I, for one, am tired of stupid mistakes. I'm tired of people being afraid to say something like stupid mistakes. That's stupid. Don't do that again. Why? We might hurt somebody's feelings. I'd rather you hurt my feelings today and tell me the truth, then lie to me, and have me eventually figure it out, and then hate you for lying to me. I'd rather be feeling foolish for a minute than feel stupid for my entire life. Just one of those little things. One of those little bitty things. Now, we were talking about New York earlier. And I have to give you one more example of New York and why I'm, I'm so damn happy not to be in New York. I realize today's the last day of the Cheetos restaurant, and I'm not getting to the Cheetos pop-up restaurant today because there's too much going on here in Delaware and too much going on here at the Blaze. But um, this is why gigantic governments make me angry. David Bookstaver, that's a guy's name. David Bookstaver was a a PR voice for a part of the New York court system. He was the spokesman for a, a group in the Office of Court Administrations. He was the communications director. 
he was paid $166,000 a year and more. But he also barely shows up for work. A whistleblower called a reporter at the New York Post and said, you know, this guy almost never shows up for work and he's been here forever and ever and he's about to get a pension and retire and he's never here anyway. So the reporter talked to him and he did talk a little bit candidly about his his life as a spokesperson for the court system and then the reporter went away and believed to be going to work on the story. Well, Mr. Bookstaver, the guy who's paid $166,000 a year to work for New York, accidentally butt-dialed the reporter. He butt-dialed the reporter while he was sitting with his friends talking about how easy his job is, how cushy his job is. And in his conversation that ended up being a voicemail, so the reporter has it to confirm it, the guy was telling his friends, I barely show up. Yeah, they pay me $166,000 a year plus. Nobody knows I'm not there. And he said, look, if the story this guy writes embarrasses me, I'll suffer through a terribly embarrassing story and then go get my effing pension and retire. He's been working for the government since 1966. He's only shown up in his Manhattan office between two and four days a week since February. He hasn't worked on Fridays for the past three years, spending long weekends at a second home. Of course he's got a second home. Making in excess for years, in excess of $150,000 a year. These are no-show jobs that have gone on. He will be 59 on October 1st. And he will retire and retire comfortably and get his pension. Despite the fact that he has now admitted that he's never there. This is what I don't understand. You can't fire these people. This is why big government is a danger. This is why these big government public unions are a danger. Because you can't fire people despite the fact that they have told you in their own words that they aren't doing the job that you've hired them to do. Now, I guess I shouldn't be surprised. New York City is a sanctuary city. New York State is a sanctuary state. Why would we expect anybody to show up for work? God forbid the cops decide to act like this guy. God forbid the police and firemen, the men and women who protect lives in that city, decide to act like this jackwagon. I'm so happy I'm out of that city. But I will tell you, that disease has crept in through cities and government employee unions all over this country. New York isn't alone. Illinois is bankrupt and just about to teeter into total bankruptcy. California has unfunded pension liabilities out the ears. We need to make hard choices. We need real conservatives. We need to be honest. We need to be mad at each other for a day rather than be angry about being lied to for the rest of our lives. I'll be right back. You're listening to Pure Opelka on the Blaze Radio Network. 
You're listening to Pure Opelka with Mike Opelka. Part of the next generation of talk radio on the Blaze Radio Network. The greatest thing, the greatest thing about this job is something I can't share with you guys. It's, it's the conversations that happen during the commercials. Yes, welcome back to Pure Opelka. We, are, we were just talking about, <laughs> believe it or not, we were talking about One Tree Hill, the Gilmore Girls, <laughs> and I can't even tell you, the Dallas, the Dallas crew and I were having a discussion in the middle of this day, which has been a roller coaster of a day with the terror attack in, in Barcelona. We have time to have this discussion. I'm just saying. It's okay. Uh, heads up. Please, a heads up to all of you. Uh, top of the hour, we are going to have a terrorism expert join us. So uh, update on Spain and, and what we're looking at there. And I do need to remind you, uh, I'm very happy as well about our new sponsor, the people from Filter Buy, F-I-L-T-E-R-B-U-Y, like Filter Buy, like you're going to buy filters, filterbuy.com. Uh, this company, just just exactly what I needed. Uh, we have two, three different sizes of air filters that we need in our homes. So I don't have to go out to the store and remember three different sizes and crawl around that back section of the store where they stack up all the filters and people like me used to pick the wrong one and then move it around and create a big mess. No, I go to filterbuy.com and I put in the sizes of my filters from my home and they ship them to me for free the next day. Now, residential, that's great. So I can set up automatic delivery They've got every size you want. These filters are made in America. They fit all of the major brands. But if you're a business and a person who's trying to make sure your heating, ventilation, air conditioning unit, that heating unit, that AC unit, trying to make sure that those filters are always cleaning the air because then your system runs better. You don't have a compressor backing up on you. Go to filterbuy.com. You can order a day's worth or a year's worth of filters. And of course, you're going to get a better deal when you set up a regular delivery or you buy in bulk. American-made, great filters. Mine should be here because I just ordered them. Mine should be here by the, by the maybe tomorrow. Very, I was going to say by the end of the week, but that's tomorrow. So check it out. Filterbuy.com, American-made, Alabama-made Filters, thank you, filterby.com, for being part of this show. There are there are a couple of weird stories I have to look at. You know, um, I finally broke down and got a vanity plate. The license plate on my car says after one, and it refers to after the First Amendment, everything else is secondary. It was my dad's motto. After one, nothing else matters. So protect that First Amendment. And I use the Second Amendment to protect the First Amendment. Isn't that logical? But if you have an easily identified vanity plate, you shouldn't do dumb things. A man in Portsmouth, New Hampshire, last week intentionally hit a construction zone worker, a flagger, and then sped off. Kind of easy to figure out who the guy is because his license plate was Trump won. Everybody's going to know the guy with the Trump 1 license plate. 
San Francisco, or not San Francisco, St. Louis police are looking for a bandit, and they say it's going to be pretty easy to figure out who this guy is because he is wearing jorts. And I had to look at that and go, jorts? And then your brain says, oh, they're jean shorts. This guy has been robbing local convenience stores while wearing jean shorts, and the police issued a statement saying, the suspect's disregard for the law is as offensive as his disregard for fashion trends. <laughs> Who knew the St. Louis County police were that clever? Good for you. And this guy in Vermont's in big trouble. He's been charged with disorderly conduct after uh, an encounter with the U.S. Customs and Border Patrol. Uh, Mark Johnson of, uh, of Vermont claimed the spraying of the liquid into the marked customs car was unintentional, but the Border Patrol agents claim, no, it's not. What did he spray? Liquid manure inside the Border Patrol car. Yeah, he's, uh, he's got a big problem now. And first of all, who the hell is carrying a spray of liquid manure with them anyway? That guy deserves to be locked up. You know, we got a big hour. We'll get an update on the situation in Barcelona from our terror expert, Ryan Morrow, just around the corner. Come on back. Opelka. With Michael Pelka on the Blaze Radio Network. This is Pure Opelka. With Michael Pelka. Only on the Blaze Radio Network. Welcome back to Pure Opelka, third hour kicking off here, and we'll open with a brief statement from the Secretary of State, Rex Tillerson, on the situation in Spain. Terrorists around the world should know the United States and our allies are resolved to find you and bring you to justice. Secretary Mattis and I are grateful for the opportunity today to host Foreign Minister Kono and Defense Minister Onodero today. The bonds of America and Japan have forged over previous decades. Will continue and then he's to going endure. back into typical diplomatic stuff. But I appreciate the strong statement from the Secretary of State as we monitor an ongoing terror situation in Barcelona. And joining us to help understand and and kind of put wrap our heads around this because these these are the kinds of things that mystify us, I think, and frighten us every single day. Uh, Ryan Morrow is joining us. Ryan, it's been a while since we've talked. I'm I'm really glad you had room on your schedule today. How are you, sir? And welcome back. Hey, thanks for having me back. I'm doing uh, as well as you can on a day like this. Um, it, it's bad. I, I know the latest news is that there might be a hostage situation at a Turkish restaurant. Um, but we're not getting many updates on that situation or that part of the situation. Well, you're you're ahead of us, Ryan. Uh, for those of you that didn't hear Ryan when he was on with us before, he's a Shillman Fellow, National Security Analyst at the Clarion Project, 
and uh, also associate producer of that documentary, Faith Keeper. So we're we're happy you're here. You've heard there may be a hostage situation at a Turkish restaurant. Is that the restaurant they saw the gunman running into? Uh, I assume so. Uh, they said, yeah, two armed men inside of a restaurant um, after the vehicle ramming, and then I'm seeing that the police... Um, have found a second van, which I don't know if that means they're, try- they're saying that there were two vans taking part in the ramming attack or if they meant there were two vans, meaning one closer to the restaurant than one at the attack scene. Um, but as we always know, when there's a terror attack like this, there's always some significant detail that ends up being incorrect. Um, so I-, I would not rule out the possibility of it actually only being one attacker as opposed to two um, or something else, but nonetheless, that we are looking at, according to the reports, two incidents, one of the vehicle running into the crowd and then an apparent hostage situation at a restaurant. Yeah, because we're not getting much, uh, you know, in in terms of of reports on this. If this had happened, God forbid, in an American city, there would be live coverage from about two inches away. But the Spanish authorities seem to have put this entire quadrant on lockdown since noon our time. And we're not seeing much inside. There have been a couple of those graphic videos leaked, but we're not seeing much inside. When when you talk about that second van, they usually, at least from from some of the analysts I've talked to, there there will be a front van now and a almost a getaway type vehicle trailing, not right on the tail. Could that be the case with this second van? Uh, that, yes, that would make total sense, because when you do the ramming attack, very often you'll crash into something, or if you see something you want to hit where people are gathering, like a restaurant or something, then the vehicle can go flying in there, and then somewhere it, it, you, you get into another vehicle in order to get to the next location. Um, there, there are some reports saying that a possible suspect has been arrested, but I only saw that in one source. I'm not seeing that being reported um, everywhere. Um, so details are sketchy. I, w- I wouldn't anything, uh, reports of one guy being arrested, um, I wouldn't go to the bank with that, um, but I'm just giving you the updates as they come in on my phone. Um, but o- overall, they, to connect this to what happened in Charlottesville, I, I think it's Im- important to point out that uh, the problems that you're seeing in the U.S., where you have these different extremes rising, many times worse in Europe, many times worse. And so when something like this happens, uh, yes, you have the possibility of follow-on attacks by jihadists, but you also have the possibility of reciprocal uh, attacks uh, from extremists that either hate Muslims or just hate everybody, like Nazis and KKK types um, in Europe, which are plentiful there. Um, so it seems like with every all the attention on what happened in Charlottesville, that does cross over the water into Europe. Um, and you have multiple groups that are looking at events like this as moments and opportunities for them to also make their mark. Well, one of the things, and and we're talking with Ryan Morrow from the, he's from the Clarion Project, the National Security Analyst. One of the things, Ryan, that strikes me is in this situation, I tend to believe the only thing these two incidents have in common, meaning Charlottesville and Barcelona, is that there were four wheels on the vehicle that was used to uh, kill people. And in the in the case here, well, let's face it, Islamic terrorists say get a bomb first. If you can't get a bomb, get a gun. If you can't get a gun, get a knife. If you can't get a knife, get a car or a truck. 
And this this can be planned in a day, can it not? You can say, hey, let's let's carry out our plan. All we need is a truck. So it is it's a convenient method of attacking to to put it in. Uh, I don't want to even put it in simple terms, but yeah, it's pretty easy to do. Yeah, it's very easy to do, and what we see oftentimes, I've seen this happen a number of times in the U.S., where if you look at the transcripts of when the FBI is looking at the conversations an ISIS suspect is having, uh, there will be plans for a bigger attack, but then they're they're nervous because they're still human beings, and they will reach a point where even before they're fully prepared for this larger, more grand attack, uh, they say they wake up in the morning and say, you know what, I'm I'm feeling really enthusiastic about doing it. I can't wait anymore, and they'll just go out and do something, so, and and give minimal notice or no notice to those that they were working with on the larger plot, uh, and that's the reason is because. Um, it, they're, yes, they want to make the highest number of casualties, uh, but it's primarily motivated by selfishness. Uh, they want to earn their ticket to paradise, um, and they are worried that they're going to get arrested before having the opportunity to die in violent jihad, or they're worried that they're going to chicken out. And so sometimes what will happen is that you'll have an actual cell pl- plotting something big, but then an individual member will just wake up one day and say, I can't wait anymore and I just got to go and try something today, um, and then the attack fails, or, or they do it, and it's not as successful. Um, the other pattern to look for is almost every single time an attack like this happens, it turns out that the terror suspects were on our radar, um, hmm. and, and that's because we gather a lot of intelligence. Um, these guys don't come out of nowhere. Usually they do things that puts them in a database at some point. They've been arrested before. Uh, we've intercepted communications. But we haven't had the ability to prosecute them. Or other people, and I'm speaking for European intelligence services as well, um, or other suspects appear to be more imminent of a threat. And so the guy that actually carries out an attack was considered a medium-tier or low-tier threat just because you were dealing with other people that were talking about setting off a bomb the next day. Um, mm. So, so I, I would predict, if I had to gamble, that in the next day or so, you're going to hear outrage as people learn that the perpetrators of this attack were already in a database, maybe had surveillance on them, and your average viewer of the media assumes that that's all we need in order to stop an attack, and it's actually much more difficult than that. Yeah, I, I, I've heard from the French authorities and the British authorities in the past, we have all these people on our radar we just don't have enough manpower to be watching them every single day. And that's the problem. You have to be right every time. And these guys just have to be right the one day they decide to act. Ryan Morrow, thank you so much. Uh, I hope uh, I hope you'll stay in touch if anything else breaks and let us know. Definitely. Thank you so much. Thank you. He's with the Clarion Project. If you didn't know that, he's been on with us before, and we appreciate him squeezing us into his schedule to talk about this uh, horrific situation. Boy, oh boy. You just never know. And it, it is the reality that we have a lot of these people on our radar. We know who they are. Law enforcement here and overseas knows who these people are. But we just don't have all the resources, nor do we want to become that police state monitoring everything, do we? I'm going to step aside early. When we come back, I want to share a story with you since it's uh, 
It's an important day in history. On this day, 1962, something happened at the Berlin Wall that led me to start my, uh, my career in tracking down and monitoring communists. And I began my career as a communist fighter just about this time in 1962. I'll share the story with you next on Pure Opelka. Pure Opelka with Mike Opelka on the Blaze Radio Network. You're listening to Pure Opelka with Mike Opelka on the Blaze Radio Network. Welcome back to Pure Opelka. History matters. History is always important. On this show, and I wish it were important in schools, I wish it were important in family discussions, the situation that's in the, in the front of everyone's mind outside of this terror attack in Barcelona is the discussion of remove history from America to basically go in and wipe out anyone who ever had any association with some of the darker parts of the early days of America when slavery was prevalent and the founders, many of them had slaves despite the fact they actually worked to start eliminating slavery. There are people right now talking about basically sandblasting Washington and Jefferson off of Mount Rushmore. Can you imagine? And they want to be taken seriously. The question, obviously, is where the hell were you during the eight years of the Obama administration when you think that the discussion about dealing with the, the legacy, in air quotes, of slavery in this country would have been at the front of the discussion? After all, Eric Holder told us in the early part of the Obama first term that America needed to have an uncomfortable conversation about race. So where was that conversation about all of these monuments then? And why now? That needs to be looked into. I look back at history every single day. I go to several different sites to see what happened on this day back in the day. For example, on this day in 18... Robert Fulton's steamboat, the Claremont, began its trip up the Hudson River to Albany. Changing the course of transportation. In 1896, prospectors found gold in Alaska, and that started a gold rush to the Klondike. And as gold will start rising in the face of days like today and uncertain economic futures, you can see gold in Alaska and California once again being dug. It was on this day in 1862 that something happened that changed my life. And that was the killing of Peter Fechter. Peter Fechter was an 18-year-old man who was shot and killed by the guards at the Berlin Wall. Now, the Berlin Wall had barely been up for a year. It was August of 61 when the, the city was split in half and the East Berliners began stringing barbed wire across the boundary between East Berlin and West Berlin. They started building a concrete block wall almost immediately, guard towers. They had searchlights 
They had dogs patrolling. They had mines and concrete barriers set up, completely splitting that great city in half. It was like nothing we'd ever seen before. And I was a little kid. But I remember it was August when the story came out about the two men who were sick and tired of living under the communist rule in the early 60s, cut off from the rest of their family and friends when, when they tried to get through the Berlin Wall. Now, they had, the East Germans had not quite completed the, the, the brick and concrete barrier. There was one small section where there was just barbed wire. And these two young men at night tried to get through. Getting through barbed wire, especially thick, several layers of barbed wire, not exactly easy or, or comfortable. One of them got through. He was cut up pretty badly, made it to West Berlin, and the East Germans would not shoot across into West Berlin. But the second young man, Mr. Fechter, was having a hard time getting through and the guards in the East Berlin Tower just started shooting. And they hit him. He stood up, tried to get to the wall again and began climbing over and more shots fired. He was hit again in the back. He screamed and fell off the wall to the ground. Reports say that it was almost an hour that Fechter lay bleeding to death and crying for help. The West German guards couldn't do anything. They couldn't cross over. They would have been under attack themselves. They threw stuff to him. They tried to throw him bandages. There was a crowd gathering on the west side of the wall, screaming at the East German security men who just sat there and watched a young man, an 18-year-old man, die. He finally did die. The guards dragged his body away. Over the course of the years that the wall was up from 61 to 89, almost 80 people were killed trying to get out of East Berlin and get to West Berlin. The German government, the East German government, the communist government always claimed that the wall was put up to protect the communist regime from the Western influence, that evil capitalism and culture. Nobody, nobody ever tried to enter East Berlin. Nobody ever tried to climb the wall and was ever shot trying to get into East Berlin. My mom explained the Berlin Wall to us. Because we were a, a growing family and we would eat dinner together. That's one of the greatest things of the nuclear family that I grew up in, one of the things that I cherish to this day. Dinners at home were mandatory. They were always a chance for mom and dad or mom or dad to give a little a little lesson time, a little discussion time to the, the gaggle of children they had. And we were, at the time, I think we were seven with baby Georgie just born. And my mom explained the Berlin Wall in terms that we would understand. We had moved from the south side of Chicago to the north side of Chicago that year. 
And we were separated from our cousins for the first time in my life that I could remember because they were always around the corner. Everybody lived in the same neighborhood. And you're running in and out of each other's homes all those times. But my mom explained it as if the communists had taken over Chicago and drawn a line that nobody could cross. And that the south side of Chicago would be where the communists were. And of course, we were lucky enough to live in the free side, the capitalist side. Thanks, thanks, mom, for giving us the good example. She was always clever that way. But she explained it to us that life on the communist side would be horrible. While we were free to worship God, to go to church, to go to school, to learn and be kids, the kids that were in the communist regime had to give their lives to the government. They were suddenly under the rule of, of one leader who told everybody what to do, when to do it, and how to do it. She talked about girls being separated from families and put to work in factories. They would make clothing. Well, boys would be forced to work in farms. And she also told us that babies, if they weren't going to be productive for a while and weren't needed, would be killed because that's what the communists did because they didn't value life. Well, I heard that and I realized that baby Georgie was at risk if the communists would ever come to Chicago. And that night, I began my fight against communists. I'll explain the rest next on Puro Pelican. You're listening to Pure Opelka with Mike Opelka on the Blaze Radio Network. You're listening to Pure Opelka on the Blaze Radio Network. Welcome back to Piero Pelka. We will give you an update shortly again on the um, Barcelona terror attack. I have to wrap up the story about this day in history and how it relates to the start of my career fighting communists and communism since I was five years old. And it goes back to 1962. And on this date when uh, a young East Berliner tried to get out of East Berlin and was shot by the guards and allowed to die in front of crowds gathered on the other side. And at the time, I was a five-year-old in a family that had a mom and dad and seven kids under the age of nine. Let your head wrap around that. My parents had seven children under the age of nine, including baby Georgie, the youngest in the Opelka clan that would soon grow to nine children. But baby Georgie slept in a crib across the hall from the room where my two older brothers and I shared a a crowded bedroom. And I remember my mom telling us the story about the communists and explaining that our life was so much different because we lived in a free society. We were free to go to church. We were free to go to the school we wanted. 
We could wear what we wanted, eat what we wanted, work where all that wonderful stuff that is America. But as she explained, if communism came to America, you could even see a city like Chicago split in two. Where the free people lived where we did, thank God, and we'd never see our cousins again because they'd be separated and living in the communist part. And she explained that the, the women would go to work and make clothes and, and maybe help grow food, and the men would work in factories. But people that were handicapped or people, babies that were too little and not needed might be killed because that's what the communists did. My mom was explaining eugenics to us at a very young age. The one thing I knew was that if communism could come to Germany, and it happened overnight pretty much, as she explained, that it could come here if we weren't paying attention. And she stressed that we always need to pay attention. So that night, about 8 o'clock, when they sent us up to bed, remember, I was five, we all went upstairs and climbed into our beds, said our prayers and uh, lights out, and I couldn't go to sleep. All I kept thinking was, what if those communists come here? What if they get here? I was worried about baby Georgie across the hall. So I got out of bed and I walked across the hall and I started watch. I was looking out the window. No one's going to get baby Georgie on my watch. And I thought I was doing a pretty good job, but I guess I was stomping around up there. And my mom came up. And it was probably about 8 or 9 o'clock. Everybody else had gone to sleep. And she said, what are you doing? Keeping an eye out for the communists. Keep it quiet. <laughs> she laughed, patted me on the head, and walked me downstairs for a little extra time with mom and dad. And she said, you don't have to worry about the communists here in America. President Kennedy's a good man. Our government is strong. She said, but it's good that you're aware. But President Kennedy, who was a Catholic like our family, was going to keep us safe. I'll never forget my mom saying, you need to be aware. You need to always be vigilant. And now, as we have these radical groups, who I think straight-up communists, this, these neo-Nazis, these, these crazy people who want to tear down the founders of this nation, I'm glad I've been aware and keeping an eye out. And... Uh, Baby Georgie, who's not such a baby anymore, gets mad every time I tell this story. But I still look out for him to say, and he's looking out for the communists too. So just, just know that history is vital. We have to be always paying attention to history. A day like today, the anniversary of the, of the shooting, the murder of a man who just wanted to be free. 
He was a captive, not by his own choice, but by the, the giant thumb of a communist regime that decided it was going to hold an entire city captive and create an entire nation of East Germany, a nation that ultimately failed in the late 80s and was then allowed to reunite with West Germany to create one unified Germany. Communism failed, ultimately, and I, we all know why it failed. It's the same reason why universal basic income is a bad idea. And yes, I'm bringing it all the way back around to the subject we started on at the beginning of this show. It doesn't work. Freedom is the only answer. Freedom, capitalism, and people who will live by the operating manual that we call the Constitution of the United States of America. All right, history lesson over. We got a couple of things we got to take care of today. That really, if for those of you who, I wish my mother were still here. She used to embarrass the hell out of me by telling that story every time the bridge club showed up at the house. Latest, uh, latest news out of Barcelona is 13 dead, 50 hurt, one arrested. Now, here's the story. Ryan Morrow started the hour giving us an update, and he was reporting on one arrest before we saw it on any of the news outlets. Uh, I believe he's got a pretty good link to information here. The one person arrested, we still don't know if it's the driver. We still don't know about a hostage situation. We still don't know who was responsible for this deadly terror attack where at least 13 people have died and 50 are hurt. But the person who rented the truck has been arrested. And chances are the authorities had their eyes on that person well ahead of this attack. So uh, we, we will obviously have an unfolding situation throughout the rest of the day. I'm going to step aside. And when I get back, I, I need to talk about something that's going on in Boston that really disturbed me because uh, it's... It's apparently a rally that's supposed to be supporting police, but there are folks who are saying that that the banners and the flags that say Blue Lives Matter, you know the flags I'm talking about. It's a black flag with a blue stripe on it. And any of those flags that support police, those are being now associated with, by some groups, uh, neo-Nazis? No. No, that's not what that's about. And we should talk about... Um, a name that you probably never heard before today. Tony Capobianco. Do you know the name Tony Capobianco? He's probably going to be some sort of a sports jeopardy question going forward. Tony Capobianco. I'll explain why he'll be a sports jeopardy question next on Puro Pelka. You're listening to Pure Opelka with Mike Opelka on the Blaze Radio Network. Pure Opelka with Mike Opelka on the Blaze Radio Network. Welcome back to Pure Opelka. Another reminder, Relief Factor has changed the way I'm able to be more active in my life. I've been using Relief Factor 
since April 7th, eight days into taking it three times a day, I noticed a huge change. The knees and the hips and the lower back that had inflammation, the inflammation was reduced, so the pain was greatly reduced. I can do more. I'm zipping up and down the stairs. I'm in the garden. I'm walking every morning at least two miles with none of the pain and no other, no other uh, pain relief needed because I use relief factor. It is a 100% botanical group of uh, ingredients that is also packaged with fish oil capsules, wild harvested fish oil. And the fish oil and the botanicals work to reduce the inflammation in my joints. You can get a three-week quick start pack to test it for yourself. It's, it's under 20 bucks. It's ninety five. 80% of the people who order the three-week quick start pack have reordered it. What does that tell you? I know it works for me. Go to relieffactor.com, relieffactor.com. You can see the basics there. There's a video you can watch, or you can call them at 800-500-8384, 800-500-8384. It's Relief Factor. I am, uh, I'm taking it breakfast, lunch, and dinner, and it's so easy to do. And three-week quick start plan. If it doesn't work, what have you lost? It's so simple. Check it out, relieffactor.com. Now, before we get out of here, there's a couple things floating around the internets today. One of them is uh, a meme going after Anderson Cooper saying that uh, he has an ugly secret that his family made a fortune from slavery. And they talk about how Anderson Cooper had this massive inheritance and that uh, his family stole it from slaves. Well, Anderson Cooper, it's not exactly a secret that Anderson Cooper came from a wealthy family, the Vanderbilt family, his mother, Gloria Vanderbilt. And uh, he recently was featured on a PBS show called Finding Your Roots. And in that show, they revealed that, yes, there were there were some, some uh, slaves owned by his four times great-grandfather. At least 12 people he owned. And so Anderson Cooper thought his family would have been too poor. I'm sure this was a a shock to him. But before we go throwing dirt on people like this, let's find the story. Understand the entire story before you go slamming people. Look, I happen to like Anderson Cooper as a person. I think he's a guy who actually tries hard to do his job. Yes, he leans liberal. But I think this is a bit of a stretch. There's a couple other things out there. Uh, You know, I appreciate this community, this community that is so tied via Twitter and uh, every other social media outlet, Facebook, etc. And I received a message from one of our friends who used to be in law enforcement. I don't think you ever fully leave law enforcement. Former NYPD blue guy who uh, was sending out this, this really disturbing poster that's showing uh, the, the, that, that flag that has the uh, Black Lives Matter. I'm sorry, the Blue Lives Matter. Uh, boy, talking about a Freudian slip. Uh, the, the Blue Lives Matter image. 
is now being called uh, a neo-Nazi alt-right symbol. There is apparently some sort of rally coming to the Boston Commons this weekend on the 19th, on Saturday. And the, the flyer that's being distributed that says, Beware, fascists coming to Boston Common on August 19th. Among the white nationalist neo-Nazi alt-right symbols and logos are the, the flags. You've seen the black American flag with the thin blue line in it. I'm sorry, that's not a symbol for a neo-Nazi, an alt-right, or a white nationalist. That's respect for law enforcement. So you jackwagons are wrong again. And the black field with the blue stripe on it, same thing. That's the blue line, the line that protects your butt. So all of you out there, just... And you know what? While we're on the subject, we need to have an investigation into the Southern Poverty Law Center. Because who the hell are these people? Before we get out of here, I have to explain who Tony Capobianco is. Tony Capobianco is a guy who just happened to be in the wrong place at the wrong time yesterday. Tony Capobianco was the the videographer-photographer who was standing well off to the right side of home plate from the pitcher's mound view when the ceremonial first pitch was being thrown out before the Red Sox game last night. The pitch didn't just go awry. The pitch went about 12 feet wide to the right-hand side of the pitcher's mound. And while Tony was doing his job, the errant pitch struck him right in the groin. He was holding the camera and recording it all as the ball came home and delivered a very unexpected and unfortunate message to him. His name has now been seen a million times. The video has been shown over and over. He's viral, and I'm sure that's why Tony... Capo Bianco will be a sports Jeopardy answer in the very near future. He, he seems to be able to laugh about it. I'll tweet out a link to the picture he tweeted saying, have fun captioning this as the ball is about to hit him. You know where. A bag of ice for Tony, please. Oh, God bless him. We'll be back tomorrow. Pray for everybody. Pray for Barcelona. Testudo, my friends. Testudo. Pure Opelka with Michael Opelka on the Blaze Radio Network.